Hi, I'm David Goforth, pastor at Grace Baptist Church. So glad that you're taking the time to listen to this podcast. And I want to let you know we're here to help you. If you have any questions, please visit our website, gbcwc.org, and contact us. We'd love to help. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dave. Take your Bibles, if you would, open them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've come to the end of our study in 2 Timothy, a book that I enjoy preaching through. As we were getting near to the end, I was traveling with Austin, and we were in a car together, and I was telling him I was struggling with how to preach the last portion of 2 Timothy, because you can look at 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 21 from Paul's perspective, and you can look at 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 21 from Timothy's perspective. And, uh, and so I let, I let Austin write one of the messages, and I wrote the other one, and I'm going to preach the second one now, and then you guys can decide which one was the best one. And uh, no, I'm kidding. He said, he said, why don't you, uh, why don't you just preach it both ways? I said, I don't think I can get it both in. And so I decided last week, if you remember, last week we looked at it from Paul's perspective and we talked about how to face the winter, how to face the winter times of our life. Well, today I want to look at 2 Timothy 4 from Timothy's perspective, because the idea of preaching God's word is to show you from God's word what the original hearers would have thought what they would have understood, what they would have received from the text. And last week we looked at what Paul was going through and what the Holy Spirit was teaching him as he was writing this passage. And now I want to look at it from Timothy's perspective. Now I just want to remind you, I know that there are many folks that are visiting today. And by the way, I want to mention, because we do have a number of visitors, uh, we do have... After the service, we'll have our regular Sunday school time. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to stay for that. Then after that, we have dinner on the grounds. You say, Pastor Goforth, I didn't bring food. That's okay, we have food. So we want you to come. And you say, well, listen, I, I, just, I, I feel bad about coming to a dinner on the grounds if I didn't cook. I've been doing that for years, folks. I haven't cooked for one dinner on the grounds. I want you to know, I've never cooked for a dinner on the grounds, and they have all been wonderful. So let me encourage you, don't let that slow you down. Don't let that dissuade you. If you cooked or if you didn't cook, come on. We're going to go over to the, uh, the, the Family Life Center right after our Sunday school time. And all of our Sunday schools will all be wrapping up, and we'll start in there in the gymnasium at 12 o'clock. Well, it's just a time for some dinner and some fellowship, so I want to encourage you to stay. And let me encourage you. I, I know that sometimes when we get into our fellowship times, we kind of fellowship with the people that we're kind of used to fellowshipping with, but branch out, find some new folks. We've got a lot of new folks in the church, got a lot of visitors today, uh, so enjoy them. I want to encourage you to do that. And I, I want to encourage every. I know, I know I'm inviting you and some of you are chuckling, but please stay. We'd love to spend some time with you this afternoon. But we're looking at 2 Timothy 4. Let me remind you what's happening. Paul has told Timothy, he's given him a bunch of instructions throughout this book. This is his second letter to Timothy. And now he said, listen, I'm here. And basically only God is with me, standing by me. Only Luke physically is here with me. Everybody's gone. Here's some things I want you to do for me, Timothy, before you come. Stop by Troas, get the cart, uh, get the cloak that I left with carpus and, and, and get the books and the parchments. Bring those with me. Oh, and go and bring Mark and bring him with me because he's profitable. And then he says something that I want you to understand from Timothy's perspective. It would have been very jarring, would have been very, very disconcerting to Timothy. One of the things that is, and even as I think about it, now I'm getting emotional because sometimes there are times when you go as a pastor and you go to, to visit somebody and you're standing with them and you're praying with them. The family has asked you to come and it's going to be a difficult time because you know that God is going to be calling them home. And there are times when it just hits you 
that, that the Lord is transitioning them. And there are times that uh, you, you don't realize that folks are going through the struggles that they are going through, through, through the different things physically that are going on. And then you're called to the hospital or maybe you're called to the bedside and, and you get there and you begin praying and you look at a face that you used to walk around here in church with or you used to minister with in different places in the different areas that you were. And you see them and you see that the life is ebbing from them and it just hits you. And I want you to realize that's what Timothy was going through when he read The time of my departure is at hand. We read that, and that's a Bible verse to us, but from Timothy, that was the words from his closest friend and confidant, saying, this is it. And you have to know, Paul and Timothy were close. We don't think about people in the Bible as being real human beings. You know, to many of us, people in the Bible are are just characters. They're people that kind of exist, but they don't really exist. We don't think of them like you or I. But Paul or Timothy were close. Of course they were close. Do you realize that many of the stories that we know about Paul, that Timothy was a part of that? So I want you to think about this, okay? Just, just, a, quick little, just a quick little lesson. Paul is going on his first missionary trip, and his first interaction with the Judaizers comes in Lystra. And he's there in Lystra, and he's preaching. People are getting saved, and then the Judaizers show up, and it did not go well for Paul. They stoned him. Do you remember the story? Now you have to kind of read between the lines because the God, the, the God does not give us all of the details of what happens. But as he's there and as he's preaching, many people are turning to the Lord. Well, where was Timothy from? Lystra. So there were many folks who were following the way of the Lord as far as they knew from the Old Testament. And we know from Timothy's testimony, we know from what Paul tells us that the word of God dwelled first in grandmother, right? Then mother, and then also in Timothy. So Timothy's grandma and mom had been teaching him God's word. And then when Paul came to Lystra and began to teach the Jews like he did in the synagogues and explain to them the word of God, he would not have been using the New Testament. He would have been using the Old Testament and then showing them that Jesus truly was the Messiah. As he began to teach, there were scores of individuals in Lystra that became followers of the way. They weren't called Christians yet. They were just followers of the way. And they began to follow and certainly Lois and Eunice and Timothy, during this first time, they would have come to be followers of Christ. And then the Judaizers show up. So imagine yourself, you're a 14, 15-year-old kid. Your mom and your grandma have been teaching you the Old Testament all of your life, and they tell you about this new preacher that they heard in synagogue, and you go and you hear, and this new teaching, this understanding, you begin to, to grasp the reality of who Christ is, and then these rulers show up, and this new preacher is drugged out and stoned. And the Bible tells us in Acts that after they stoned him, they drug him outside the city, supposing he was dead. Get the picture, okay? I know we see it in black and white, but I want you to see it in your imagination. But the Bible tells us that the disciples and Lystra that had begun to follow Christ came out and stood around Paul. They found him, they went out there, and as they were standing around him, and no doubt, what are you, just, the Bible doesn't tell us specifically, but what would you or I have been doing at that point? We're standing around somebody that has taught us about Christ, and we've begun to follow him, and then he was killed. It's probably a pretty somber event, right? And somber events are usually pretty memorable, but this somber event is about to change, because we all know what happens, right? Right? Paul gets up and goes back in the city. 
All of us have been to funerals. None of us have been to funerals where the person we went to the funeral went with us to the wake afterwards. Said, hey, this is kind of boring. Let's head back into the city. That's exactly what happened. Timothy, more than likely, was there. That was his introduction to Paul. You think you have a favorite preacher? You think you have somebody that you look up to? Timothy saw this man get up after being dead, go back into the city for a night, and then take off and continue on in his missionary journey. That was how how Timothy was introduced to Paul. And then Paul goes back to Jerusalem. You remember he has a Jerusalem council there in, in Acts. In Acts. <laughs> it's in Acts. Trust me, it's in, it's in Acts 14 or 15. It's got to be Acts 15. So he goes back to go to the Jerusalem council, and they talk about, hey, what are we going to, we're having all of these Gentiles that are following. It's not just the Jews following Christ anymore. So they have the first council where they get together and they say, okay, how are Gentiles going to come into the faith? Because the Jews just naturally assumed that they were going to follow the Messiah, they were going to continue on in all the things that they would do in the Old Testament. And so they had this discussion, and then Paul went out on the next uh, journey, and he's telling people about these different things that's going on, and then he comes to Lystra. And he gets there to Lystra, and people are talking about somebody who has been on fire since the last time Timothy's been there, or since Paul's been there. And guess who it is? It's Timothy. He's a youngster. I mean, Timothy, when he saw the preacher preach and saw the preacher get up after being stoned to death, Timothy said, Okay, I'm convinced. And he started living. And when Paul comes back, we find out that Paul realizes, man, this guy is really serving. And so he takes Timothy and he says, hey, you want to travel with me? So he goes to travel with him as Paul delivers the decrees from the first council. But in this trip, these are all of the things. So Timothy now is going with Paul and they head out. And where do they go? Well, that's when Paul hears the Macedonian call. Have you heard that? So probably the first person to hear about the dream that Paul had was not when Luke wrote it in Acts. It was probably Timothy the next morning over breakfast. Because Timothy was there and Silas was there and Luke was there. and said, hey, I had this dream. Timothy was the first one to hear the Macedonian call. So they go to Philippi. Do you remember what happens in Philippi? We always hear about Paul and Silas being beaten and thrown into jail. But then the Bible says they were in there and they, but we also know that Paul had some traveling companions. We know he had Luke and we know he had Timothy. Timothy's with him. Do you remember what Paul and Silas did in the Philippian jail? They sang, then an earthquake, then the doors opened up. And then instead of running away, the Philippian jailer said, oh no, I'm going to die. And he said, no, no, we're all here. And then the Philippian jailer said, sir, what must I do to be saved? Timothy is watching this. This is a pretty, pretty incredible thing. And so, but I want you to think about it. Timothy is also the one that was helping Paul and Silas after they had been beaten. He's the one that probably had to put oil and salve on the wounds that they had from this beating in the Philippian jail. And then they leave from there, and what's the next church they plant? They plant the church at Thessalonica, and Timothy is there. And then they leave Thessalonica, and they meet these people called the Bereans. Remember the Bereans? They were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica because the people in Thessalonica listened to Paul preach and said, okay, that's good stuff. But the Bereans went, okay, let me check the Bible and let me see if it's good stuff. And Timothy got to see that with Paul as the Bereans started flipping through their Bibles and started, well, of course, they wouldn't flip through the Bible because they were scrolls back then. But you know what I'm saying? As they're starting, they're looking at it and Paul is there with him and gets to see it and he gets to go through it with them and then... 
Paul leaves them there. Paul goes to Athens and he gets to preach at Mars Hill. And then they meet up again in Corinth and they plant the church at Corinth. Paul and Timothy have gone through a ton. And they were close. Listen to what he says to the church at Corinth. Timothy was with them when he planted them. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, For this cause I have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says, listen, church of Corinth, you are in a bad way. You need to be reminded of what I teach. So I'm sending Timothy. And Timothy goes to Corinth, to the church at Philippi. And the church of Corinth knew Timothy. The church of Philippi knew Timothy. To this church of encouragers, he said, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. And so at the church at Corinth, they, they weren't getting a new Timothy that showed up. They were getting the Timothy that they met the first time as a young preacher boy. And now he's coming back. And the church at Philippi, the young preacher boy, and now he's coming back. You see, Paul and Timothy were close. Who's your closest friend? Who's that person that you can hang out with? Who's that person that you can let your hair down with? I realize for many of us in the room, that's, a, that's just a statement, right? That we can't, don't have any hair to let down, amen? But you know what I'm talking about. Who is that person that you can be unguarded with? Who's that person that you get to be yourself around? That was Paul and Timothy. To us, Paul is the great preacher of the New Testament. To Timothy, he was his father in the faith. He was his close confidant. There were times when Paul and Timothy were laughing together. There were times when Paul had to look at Timothy and say, no, don't do that. There were times when Timothy would go to Paul and say, why are we doing this? They were close as could be. And now, the tables are going to turn a little bit. So I want you to see things from Timothy's side. He has just read The time of my departure is at hand. He's just read, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. Timothy knew what that meant. He had been taught in the Old Testament ways. And think of what would have been happening to Timothy's heart. Think of how difficult that must have been. And it wasn't like nowadays where you can just pick up the phone and call somebody or maybe, or maybe get into a car and drive over and be with them. Timothy was, in, was, was literally months away from him. And he receives this letter and he would have begun to be sad, I believe. And as he reads that, then he reads further, and he sees some instruction. But I want you to see something else he says in 2 Timothy 1. Look what Paul says in 2 Timothy 1, 4. Paul says, greatly desiring to see that he's saying, Timothy, I really want to get together. You know, it's interesting. There are, there are many times that when my parents lived in Michigan, I would travel up to Michigan. That's where I grew up. I'd travel up to Michigan for Christmas or something like that. And somebody would say, Dave, I'm, I'm upset that you drove all the way up here to Michigan and didn't come over to see me. And I would say, well, I'm upset that I drove all the way up to Michigan. I did the heavy lifting. You had about 10 minutes to drive, and you wouldn't drive over and see me. What's your problem? We don't talk anymore. I don't know Why? But you know who those friends are. They say, greatly desiring to see. You know the friends that you plan a vacation around so that you can see. You know the individuals that you would take a day off to go over and be with. You know the people that could call you right now and you would leave if you needed to go and see them. That was Paul and Timothy. And Paul says, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful 
of thy tears. He's saying, I remember how you wept. We don't know exactly what this is referring to, but there's a scene that kind of paints the picture of what it must have been like when Paul and Timothy separated. In Acts chapter 20, as Paul is traveling, he stops and he calls the leaders from Ephesus where Timothy is now. And this could have been the meeting that Paul was talking about. We don't know for sure, but it could be. And in Acts chapter 20, he talks with them. He says, guard against false teaching. He tells them basically in a very small condensed version what he has written to Timothy over two passages. And then he says in verse 36 of chapter 20, it says, when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. So here's this person who has been to this place and has planted this church and has led people to the Lord. And these people have followed Paul and they have learned from his teachings. And he's going to them and telling them, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And then they kneel down and they pray together. In verse 37, and they all wept sore fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. They understood this was goodbye, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. You see, in our day and age, because we can travel so easily, because we can get from here to there, and we can, train time, we can change time zones, and we can be in one state in just a few hours, there's many times that we don't understand things that happen in the Bible, but this was a situation where people realize this is the last time I'm going to see my friend. Many of us in this room have had that experience. I talked about you, and I've shared the times that I have been in people's rooms realizing this is the last time we are saying goodbye. And Paul says, Man, I want to see you. I remember how you cried. I remember how hard it was the last time that we said goodbye because we thought it was goodbye. But I want another goodbye. And then he says something. Look down at verse 9 of 2 Timothy 4. This is the title of the message this morning. Paul says, do thy diligence. That's one word in the Greek. And it has the idea of swiftness and earnestness combined. So it's not just trying hard, it's trying hard, but it's getting to it quickly. He says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And then Paul gives him a list of the things that he wants him to do. And then look down at verse 21, if you would, of 2 Timothy 4. Paul says, do thy diligence, but he says something differently. The first time he said, do thy diligence to come here quickly. But this time Paul says, do thy diligence to come before winter. We talked last week about Paul's winter, but Paul wasn't talking about the winter of his life. Paul was talking about the winter there in that region of the, of the world. You see, we know from Acts that during the winter times, travel in the Mediterranean was impossible. They tried to do it in Acts chapter 28 when Paul was with the ship going to Rome, and that was when the ship was broken apart, was busted up on the sea, and they ended up on an island. Paul said, we can't go during this time. The Day of Atonement, or the fast, has already passed. That's in the autumn. And Paul was saying, listen, this is not the time to travel. This is when the storms come. You know the ship is going to be broken up, and the captain's like, we're going anyway, and the ship was broken up. And so when Paul looks at Timothy, I want you to understand from Timothy's perspective, I want you to imagine yourself as Timothy here this morning. You've opened up this letter from Paul. You've read all of these things. He's kind of been telling you to get back into the fight, to stir up the gift that's in you. He's been challenging you. He's been doing what Timothy has heard from Paul all of his life. And then he hears, I am going to die soon. Do your diligence and come see me. I remember your tears. I remember it was difficult, but I want to see you one more time, Timothy. Do your diligence 
come before winter, it is in the imperative mood. Paul is not asking if you have the opportunity. He's saying, Timothy, I want to see you. Now, as far as history, we don't have any reason to believe that Timothy went to see him. We know it would have been a months-long trip. And we don't know if Timothy tried to go and see him, and I want to ask you to just give me a little flexibility in your imagination this morning, because we don't know exactly when Timothy found out. Maybe Timothy found out that Paul had passed as he was trying to go after winter. Maybe he found out when he was stopping by Troas at Carpus's place to pick up the cloak, to pick up the parchments. Maybe that's when the word made its way back to where Paul was, in Eph- or where Timothy was in Ephesus, as it made its way from Rome, that the great apostle had been killed. Maybe that's when Timothy found out. Maybe he didn't find out until he got to Rome. And he ran around and he, and he talked to Andronicus or Amplius or Claudia or, or, or Justice. He walked around and talked to the different folks. And they said, oh, haven't you heard? Paul was beheaded last winter. And I want to challenge you this morning with the importance of doing your diligence. And here's what I mean. The Bible speaks very, very importantly. It's a very, very common theme, but it's an important thing that honestly, if the devil has any while, we know in Ephesians that we're supposed to put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. I was a teenager when I heard a preacher say this. And I remember him preaching. He said, teenagers, the, 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 the devil has a number of different wiles, but the greatest and most effective wile is the wait a while. Just wait a while. You see, God doesn't want you to just sit here this morning, soak in a little bit of scripture, and then go home and go, hmm, I wonder if I can apply that to my life. He wants you to take something today and change today. The devil does not mind if you go to church. He's got plenty of people that go to church. He's okay with that. Go to church all you want. He doesn't mind if you listen to truth. He doesn't mind if you agree with truth. But he is 100% against you acting on that truth. And so he's going to do what he can to get you to sit here and say, okay, I get it. Okay, I understand. Okay, I agree. You know what? I am going to do something tomorrow. And Timothy is a hard-learned lesson of the importance of doing our diligence. Listen to what we read this morning, Psalm 39, 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. So teach us, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Psalm 95, he is our God. We are his people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. The very famous verse from Proverbs, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Well, no, it's not. But a day may bring forth. Nobody's going to stand up today and say, I will not obey God. Because we feel better if we stand up and say, I will do that tomorrow. I will do my diligence later. There's fear that turns us. There's all kinds of things that turn us. And Timothy stands up and says, no, be careful. Do thy diligence. John 9, verse 4, Jesus Christ said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. 
The night cometh when no man work. Jesus Christ himself understood the importance. I have this opportunity. That is it. James chapter 4, another famous passage. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue. And buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor. It appears for a little time, then vanishes away. You see, we as human beings, understand the concept that life is not forever. But we rarely spend our day thinking that this could be our last. And the title of the message this morning is plain and simple. Do thy diligence. Do thy diligence. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at a couple things. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this time. Speak through your word. Speak to our hearts. Lord, may this be a watershed time. Lord, may we change how we interact with you, with your word, with the lost. Lord, help us to be a church full of individuals who do our diligence. In Christ's precious name, amen. Just a few applications really quickly. The main thrust of the passage to Timothy was to do thy diligence, do thy diligence, do thy diligence. Come see me. Come see me before winter. You have this opportunity. Take this opportunity now. There are so many different things that we could apply this to, but let me give you four things really quickly that I'd like you to apply this to. Number one, I want to ask you to do your diligence to repent of that besetting regression. That sin that has been sneaking into your life, some of you have been battling the same sin over and over and over in your life, and you have gotten to the point where it no longer bothers you, and now it has sneaked back in. Now it is one more time a part of your daily routine. Now it has gotten back into your home, and you have thought to yourself, I need to take care of this, and I need to take care of this, and you say, I will take care of it, but you say tomorrow, and I want to beg you this morning, you've labored with that guilty conscience long enough. You have carried that filth with you long enough. Do thy diligence. Repent of that sin. You say, go for it. You don't understand. I've tried before and I've failed. So have I. God doesn't say you've got to get it perfect. He says, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I know you're going to wander away. I know you're going to put stuff in your own strength. I know you're going to try to do things the way you want to do them. And when you get worn out from doing things with that heavy weight of sin on your back, come to me. Do thy diligence. Repent of that sin. You say, Pastor, go for it. You don't know what it'll do. You don't know what it'll do if my wife finds out, if my, if, my, if my husband finds out, if my children find out, if my boss finds out. The one who died for you already knows. Repent. Say, Pastor, go over this. Somebody told you something about what I've done. No. But I know that all of us in this room this morning, we're sinners. And sin gets draped on us every day of our life. And if we don't do our diligence... It sticks around. You've labored with that guilty conscience long enough. You've rested on the intent of getting it taken care of long enough. You've made excuse for your past failures long enough. Do thy diligence. Say, Pastor, go forth. If I come today, I'm just going to fail tomorrow. You don't have tomorrow. You have today. Do thy diligence. Number two, do thy diligence to rectify that broken relationship. Who is it that the Holy Spirit just brought to your mind? Praise the Lord this morning. I had, a, I had a, a gentleman that came to me just this morning. He said, Pastor, do you remember last week we were praying? He had a relative that hadn't spoken to in years. He didn't tell me any information. He didn't say this is what happened. He said, just pray. I haven't spoken to them in years. There's been no contact. We prayed about it last Wednesday in the pews right about in that section. This morning he shook my hand and said, guess who texted me this past week? Do your diligence. 
Pastor Gopher, you don't understand. I didn't do anything to break the relationship up. Do what God tells you to do. Do your diligence. Don't wait for things to get taken care of. Don't wait for things to just work themselves out. Don't wait for things to go back the way they used to be. Do what God tells you to do. Be it Matthew 5 or Matthew 18, whatever it is, Ephesians 4, whatever it is that you have to do, do thy diligence and fix that relationship. That anger has grown to a callous for some of us. And we don't think that we have a broken relationship. We think we're fine with them because our heart no longer is drawn to them so the heartache is not there. And because that heartache has calloused over, we think, well, we're good now because it doesn't bother me anymore. But the relationship is still broken. Do thy diligence to rectify that broken relationship. Go back to them. Seek forgiveness. Who is that someone that needs to hear, I love you? Who is that person that needs to hear, I'm sorry? Who is that individual that needs to hear you've sinned against me and I want to fix it? Do thy diligence. Do thy diligence. Who needs to hear? Thank you. Who needs to hear? I've missed you. Who needs to hear it? Do thy diligence. Do thy diligence to repent of that besetting regression, to rectify that broken relationship, but do thy diligence to remedy that belabored responsibility. There are so many things in my life I know that God has told me to do that I haven't gotten to, and I make myself feel better because I'm going to do it someday. Very few Christians have ever looked at me and said, Pastor Goforth, I'm not going to tell anybody about Christ. I'm not going to make any disciples. I think making disciples is for the birds. Nobody ever says that. Do you know what we say? I'm going to do that. Maybe after I retire, maybe after I'm not working so long a, a job, maybe after I don't have 14 kids underfoot, maybe you know, after my husband and I get things settled, maybe a- after I get my retirement worked out, maybe after I get a few more things here. Maybe, we, we don't say, well, no, I, I'm not going to obey God. I'm not going to go out there. I, I'm not going to fix this. We just take a step back. It's an advantage for me. I knew what I was preaching this morning. The Lord laid somebody on my heart this morning. I came to church, wanted to talk to them, and they weren't here. So I texted them. I used my phone during church. Forgive me. I texted them. Because you know how many times I've thought the Holy Spirit has brought something to my mind, and I thought, oh, I need to talk to them, and I didn't. I had just gotten married. I was traveling from Pensacola to Christian College. We were in Dallas, Texas. I remember the hotel we were in to this day. 30 years later. And we're there, and we're doing a lot of different things, and unmistakably, God laid on my heart, listen, call Dave Perkins, talk with him. I got the chance to intern here at Grace. I say I got a chance to intern here. I think it was Pastor Kelly's last-ditch effort to try to convince Day not to marry me. And so he was going to bring me in, put me on display for six weeks, and see, 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 see. But it didn't work out, and we got married. But I came, and part of my job back then is he said, okay, you're going to spend the day with this person, you're going to spend the day with this person, you're going to spend the day with this person. And then he said, you're going to spend the day with Dave Perkins. Some of you here remember Dave Perkins, working in the children's ministry. His office was where our pianist's office is now, right? That used to be Dave Perkins' office. And he was down, and he said, okay. And he came down here. Now, can I tell you something? I like kids, but I like them more when they get to the fun ages, like in junior high, when they stop being human. That's when they get fun, right? 
Now, little kids, like elementary and even younger kids, I, I, I love them, but I, I, I didn't have the burden to work with them. So I sat there with Dave, and he was telling me all the different things he did with child evangelism, fellowship, and we would talk about things. And got to spend a, a, a day every week. I got to spend half a day with Dave Perkins talking about different things and talking with Miss Alicia. And I remember the time that the Holy Spirit said, call Dave. Tell him you appreciate his ministry. Now, let me tell you something. Dave Perkins is a Christian. He's in heaven right now. He's waiting on Alicia. I am positive he did not lose one moment's sleep thinking, Dave Goforth never talked to me since he interned here. I am positive of that. But do you know what I missed out on? I came back to Grace. I talked to Miss Perkins and, some, and then she said, yeah, well, when Dave passed away, I didn't do my diligence. I had an opportunity. Now, God hasn't punished me for it. It's not that, that David's life significantly changed, but God prevent, presented me with an opportunity, and I said, I'll do it tomorrow. The same thing happened to Peter, James, and John. Imagine if you're Peter, James, and John. Jesus Christ is heavy under the weight of pain for the sins of the world, and he says, come and pray for me. And what did they do? They slept. And he came back, and he said, pray for me. Can you just watch and pray for an hour? Can you just pray for me? Now, let me tell you something. Did Jesus Christ still accomplish God's will? Absolutely. But three individuals had an opportunity to pray for the King of Kings. They had one chance. They never got their opportunity again. Now, here's the thing that I'm telling you. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to convince you this morning that if you don't do God's will, that it's going to ruin his will. No, no, no. That's not what's going to happen. Do you know what I firmly believe? I firmly believe that Dave Perkins needed some encouragement. Somebody else got the blessing. Somebody else got to join up with God and do what he asked. I firmly believe that what Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit or his word or the Heavenly Father lays on your heart today, that person that right now is in front of your mind as you are sitting here thinking, listen, you need to do this. I am confident that if you don't take the gospel to your neighbor and God wants the gospel to go, it's still going to go. I am 100% confident in the sovereignty of my God. He wants your child to be encouraged. He wants your wife to be encouraged. He wants your spouse to be spoken to. He is going to send it some way, but sometimes he gives us the opportunity to be his hands, to be his heart, to be his mouth. And if you'll do thy diligence, you get opportunities you never would have dreamed of. Do thy diligence. Run to that belabored responsibility. Complete it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what that is that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart. Maybe it's a person that you think is too far gone. Do thy diligence. Maybe you think it's an opportunity that has already passed, but the Holy Spirit has brought it back. If they are still drawing oxygen, do thy diligence. And lastly, and we're done. I can't preach this message without talking to those of you in this room that do not have the confidence that you have Christ's life in you. Notice I didn't say this morning, are you on your way to heaven? Do you know that you have eternal life? No, I'm talking about those individuals that do not have that relationship with Christ. I am so thankful for the Bible Belt. I've had a chance to live outside of the Bible Belt. It's a different existence. I am thankful that we live in a community where you can still pray in Jesus' name and not have the ACLU knocking on your door within a couple of minutes. I am thankful that as a pastor, 
it is common when I go to hospitals to pray with people that I will pray with them and their doctor and their doctor will pray with me. I have never once been called father since I've moved back to South Carolina. When I went to, I would go in and say, hey, I'm here, I'm somebody's pastor. They're what? They're pastor. Kind of like they're priest. Oh. So, you want to talk to them? Yeah. Want to go in and pray with them? Now listen, we've got some visitors from Tampa. Not everybody's Tampa is a pagan, right? Just 98% of them? I'm kidding. But I am thankful for that. I'm thankful for the privilege that we have. But what I am begging you is I am begging you to shed the cultural Christianity that we have developed. And I am asking you, do you have Christ in you? If not, do thy diligence to run to the blessed Redeemer. If you have a doubt, don't go home today with that doubt. If you struggle with a question, don't say, well, I'll get to it later. Well, I've already dealt with this question before. I've already gone through this. I'll just, I'll get to it eventually. If you're sitting here saying, well, listen, I know that this, or I know this, or if you're saying, well, I'm not sure about this, do thy diligence. Today is the opportunity. Do thy diligence. Repent of that besetting sin. Repair that broken relationship. Restart that responsibility that you put to the side. Run to the Redeemer for salvation. I found a poem. You know, I don't usually read poems, but I found a poem by a lady. Her name is Martha Snell Nicholson. Martha was bedridden with four different incurable diseases. She was bedridden for most of her life in massive amounts of pain. And when she was 39... In the middle of the Great Depression, as she was struggling, she was born in 1899, so it was kind of toward the end of the Great Depression, but as she was struggling, she began to write poetry. And this bedridden individual wrote a poem that just convicted me. It's called His Plan for Me. This is what she wrote. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, And I see how I blocked him here and checked him there. And I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes? Grief, though he loves me still? No. He'd have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I can't retrace, then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No. Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. Do thy diligence. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Simple invitation. Pastors will be here at the front. The invitation truly is simple. Do thy diligence. That's the invitation. I don't know what you need to do your diligence in. Some of you need to be saved. Some of you need to repent of sin. 
Some of you need to restore a relationship. What is it that the Holy Spirit has laid on your heart? We're going to have a word of prayer after prayer. We're going to play the piano. That's not the opportunity for you to sit there and wait for the end of the message. It's the opportunity for you to do your diligence. Do thy diligence. Lord, I pray that you would bless in this invitation time. Lord, help us to follow you, shepherd of our souls. In Christ's precious name, amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, do thy diligence as the piano plays. Thank you.